I'm pumped. <laughs> Didn't they used to say, are you pumped, dear? Oh, yeah, I'm pumped, Aunt Lydia. No one likes the sourpuss of Joseph. So, are you pumped? Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Resisting Gilead. Today, we are going to be discussing Season 3, Episode 6, titled Household. This episode takes place in Washington, D.C. I think it's one that everyone has been waiting for in terms of just seeing some of the clips from the trailer leading up to season three look pretty impressive and interesting. And you're kind of wondering what June is doing there. And honestly, I was hoping June was there to lead an army of handmaids. Uh, Unfortunately, (laughs) that was not the case. And, you know, before we really get into it, you know, I think this season just started off on like such a, I don't know, inspiring and more positive note the first few episodes and it took a turn last episode and it just, it really took a turn into darkness for this episode for many different reasons and and we'll get into all of that. Yeah, so starting off, I want to talk about just some of the amazing cinematography and the shots in this episode. There were so many this time. I think the first one we see is as June is on the train and they are approaching Washington, D.C., and we see the Washington Monument, which has now been made into a cross. In the window, we see her face. We see the reflection of the new cross. Um, Just a really amazing shot. Another one where he did, um, I should look up who directed this episode, but they did a lot of playing with images and reflections and I don't know what that means I think I think it is good you know just kind of all the reflections to to reflect on this season so far and to understand kind of the twists and turns it's taken particularly with certain characters I think you know Serena Joy um at the center of it all but um you know the second scene we've seen where this kind of trick of reflection is used is There's a scene between Serena and Fred up in her bedroom that they're staying at High Commander Winslow's house, where you see the two of them individually, but then for almost the whole entire rest of the scene, the camera's focused on Fred, but we see Serena's reflection in the mirror. It's really pretty interesting to watch. And then in terms of the third And final reflection, I think we see, and, you know, if there's more, please write in to tell me. I would love the feedback, but is at the very end of the episode with the cross of the transformed Washington monument in June's eye. That's that's the third kind of reflection shot that I recall seeing. And then just another really brilliant shot, and it's kind of one shot transitioning to the other, but as June... June gets out of the car when they go to speak to the Swiss and it is her red umbrella amongst a sea of black umbrellas, which was just very visually stunning. And then it, it transitions into another scene where they're in this very kind of opulent atrium of a, I don't know, a a much older 
kind of historic professional looking type of building uh, where there's just kind of a lot of black and white and she is kind of the red figure that um, that we're looking down on. And I mean, of course, that last scene with all the handmaids lined up looking very much like an army, even if this particular group of handmaids seems um, extremely, extremely powerless. You know, that of course is stunning, but I think that's a, a shot that we're all very familiar with at this point if, if, you know, if you've watched the trailer. So as we enter this, I don't even know what they call the Capitol anymore. I don't think they call it Washington, D.C., but as we enter the new Washington you know, they're, they're coming up out of the train station and a couple things are made very apparent very quickly. The first is men and women are taking separate escalators. So they're not even allowed to occupy the same escalators, which to me feels very Middle Eastern. There are some cultures in and countries in which certain fraternization between men and women is definitely not allowed. You know, for instance, I know that when my boyfriend goes back home to visit his family in Iran, if they are at their vacation home, that there are separate times of day where men can occupy the swimming pool and that women can occupy the swimming pool. They're never allowed in the pool area together at the same time. So for some reason, that reminded me a little bit of that. And then, of course, we see handmaids with a new piece of uniform, which is kind of a neck covering that comes up to just under their nose, which covers their mouth. And while it's not a full-on burqa, it's, it's, very, um, it's very reminiscent um, of that, you know, we can still see the top part of their face, their, their whole face is not concealed in that way. But, um, you know, it's very interesting. And it's interesting to see Aunt Lydia first comment uh, on it as, oh, about silence, how, how beautiful or something to that extent. And, you know, we're like, okay, it's a little different, a little different here in this new capital. And so, the whole purpose of this visit is they're going to be doing some kind of crazy week-long prayer vaganza thing in which they're going to be praying for baby Nicole to be returned from Canada. June is, of course, very against this. Commander Lawrence says something like, oh, this is a smart idea. It's like good for optics. And, you know, kind of always the politician, she just kind of rolls her eyes and is like, okay, uh, let's, let's get on with it. But what's interesting is Fred and Serena and June, of course, have been invited to stay at High Commander Winslow's house. And so I don't know what it means to be a high commander as opposed to a commander, other than it is a step above all the rest. But, you know, it it kind of has you wondering, okay, so is he the head honcho in charge? Is there someone above him? But you know, now we're seeing kind of next level of power in in Gilead, which is interesting. And this high commander, George Winslow, is played by Christopher Maloney, who I think anyone who's watched TV in the last 20 years knows him from a variety of shows, probably most recognizable from kind of uh, maybe, God, it's probably like a decade ago, he was on uh, Law and Order Special Victims Unit, 
with Mariska Hargitay. Uh, he was also, I believe, in the show Oz on HBO. He, he also came in and played like a evil head vampire on True Blood at one point. And now we're seeing him here, which I think, you know, I don't know how long his arc is going to be, but I think he's always just an amazing actor. He's a great addition to this cast. And then the woman playing Mrs. Winslow, this actress's name is Elizabeth Reeser, and she's also very recognizable. Anyone who has watched Grey's Anatomy, she had a season, uh, maybe a season and a half on that. She played uh, Esme, who was the mom vampire in the Twilight series. And then most recently, I think everyone who saw The Haunting of Hill House, she was one of the siblings in that show. So, you know, two kind of very recognizable, notable actors coming together to kind of give us some insight into this higher echelon of um, power in Gilead. And, you know, something that struck me, (laughs) of course, and I think took everyone by surprise, even the Waterfords, is they have six children. Um, They have six children, and it looks like probably only potentially two could be biological from the assistive handmaids. They had a a fairly, you know, they had an infant, and then it looks like they had maybe... I don't know, a, a two or three year old, which would be the right threshold. You know, if, um, if, if Michael has been pregnant and carried to term three different times, you know, that is, it's got to be at least a three year span. So it looks like those two could biologically, potentially biologically be his. We know people take shortcuts in, in Gilead to, to get pregnant, so to speak. But then these other four children, are there and you know I think Serena Joy says oh are all of them yours and Mrs. Winslow's like who else's would they be it's like you know what six other women's else's is who these kids would belong to which is just kind of uh you know you see June's reaction she's just like you know a little bit incensed there so it's interesting I think something else that's really interesting about being at the Winslow's is between the number of kids and just the vibe in the house, the big playroom, even um, outside on, I don't know if it was like a back patio at their house, uh, which is a shot later when Nick and June meet in the middle of the night. But to me, this is very reminiscent of The Sound of Music. I mean, all the kids in the playroom, of course, you know, uh, I think that was a big part of that show. But then that back patio that Nick and June are on, it was just like, I'm like waiting for Rolf and Liesel to come out and start, you know, singing 16 going on 17. It was a little surreal for me. I was in the musical Sound of Music once. And so it's, you know, uh, whenever I see something that reminds me of it, I'm like, oh, Sound of Music. And I was just like, oh, this is, you know, like creepy Sound of Music in Gilead, you know, with uh, children that have been stolen from people. But uh, yeah, so that was just kind of interesting vibe I got from that household. So, of course, even though they have six children already, they have a new handmaid um, of George. And so, June... (laughs) 
June tries to strike up a conversation like, oh, I'm really sorry I'm invading your space. Awkward silence. You know, she, she tries conversation a few different times, a few different ways. Awkward silence. And then she hears of George taking off this new kind of piece of uh, uniform that covers the mouth and turns and looks at her. And when George looks at June, we see that she's got three rings in her mouth. So this vow of silence is not voluntary. It is mandatory by torture. And I mean, I just... So of course you can't speak with these rings in your mouth, but I just kind of think about everything else you can't do either. It's like, are they all on liquid diets? Because the only way they can get something in is, you know, with straw between the rings. And is that how you drink? Like, how do you brush your teeth? How do you yawn? How do you sneeze? How do you cough? It's just like all these things, uh, it just seems like, it's not only a way to silence these women, but this is uh, this is a like a human rights violation to just basic health and hygiene. This seems like a basic human rights violation that is preventing these handmaids from even just being able to take proper care of themselves. And I mean. I'm a longtime allergy sufferer and my allergies have been really bad this year. And even before I, even before I launched back into this conversation, which you won't hear this, but I sneezed rather loud and violently three times. And of course I had to open my mouth in order to do that. And I'm just like, Oh, there go my rings and you know, my whole lower mouth. So I don't know. Then what do they do with you? cut out your tongue like they did with um, Avglen number two that one time. I mean, maybe it's just, um, it's pretty horrifying. And, you know, as June looks away, we see her first with this expression of disbelief on her face. And then she puts her hand over her mouth, like she's trying to keep herself from vomiting. And, you know, it is, it's, it's pretty horrible. You know, I think the next day we see Aunt Lydia take a peek under one of these, handmaids uh you know silence wear and even she looks somewhat horrified by seeing those rings um it definitely wasn't what she was expecting um so you know it's um pretty rough pretty rough to see that in action also after june goes up to her room we see Serena Joy up in her room talking to Fred for a bit. And then afterwards, she kneels down by her bed and takes out that piece of paper that has Nicole's little feet imprinted, feet prints, footprints on it. And, you know, she's kind of praying over it, mourning over it. And it's like, yeah, lady. And this is what June had been doing for seasons over Hannah's little picture. I mean, it's very similar. Um, These women are, they diverge so much, but they are also on this weird, same, similar path in some ways. Um, you know, it's, uh, they've always had a very interesting relationship and, you know, we're gonna, 
we're going to talk about that getting even more interesting. You know, while this trip to Washington is, I think, the focal point of this episode, the other points in it really are looking at this silencing of the handmaids, this mandatory silencing, and then June and Serena's relationship. And, you know, June is trying. She is trying to get Serena back as an ally, get her to see sense on her side. And, I mean, she first starts off with it when they are sitting in the playroom. And here's a little bit of that discussion. Because seeing her changed you. It changed you. It didn't change this place. She deserves better. Our girl deserves better. And I know that you know that. They seem happy here. Have you seen their handmaid? So then it turns out that somehow the Swiss are involved with this negotiation between Canada and Gilead over baby Nicole. And, you know, if we think about the Swiss and their history is, you know, they have been the neutral party in... I think just about every war we've seen, every world war, um, particularly, you know, and when people say, hey, I'm neutral, I'm Switzerland, there's a reason for that. So I think it's really interesting that they're involved in these conversations. Um, And then, of course, they want to talk to June alone. And, you know, that's not by mistake in any way. It's clear when they sit her down that they want as much information as they can get from her. They admit to saying that Gilead is like a black box and they cannot penetrate it. They cannot bake through. They don't understand the power structure, which, hey, as viewers, we don't understand the power structure. You know, how are these decisions being made? We know who some of the commanders are, but it's really unclear if they've got a head spiritual leader. It's really unclear if they have a head political leader. And, you know, it's very, you know, it's probably the only thing they know. It's completely um, male dominated. Uh, You know, women have no power in this society. But I think the question is who who's making all this, all of the decisions. And, There was a commander at the beginning who basically recruited Nick to be part of this movement. And for a while, it seemed like he might be the head person in charge. But, you know, it's it's become clear that whoever is in charge is based in Washington, D.C. And I don't know if it is this Mr. Wins, you know, High Commander Winslow or not. Um, But hopefully we're going to find out this season. I think it's hard because June cannot really be an asset to the Swiss. Like she knows some stuff, but she doesn't know anything. And I think taking a look at Washington and some of the things that are going on there, you know, the handmaids to start, it becomes clear that this is a very, um, you know, it's, it's very tight. 
It's, it's very secretive. It's very tight. And, you know, maybe, um, I don't know. We'll see if the Swiss find an asset they can use. And June is thinking that she can make a deal to keep Nicole safe. And she's thinking that Nick will turn, that he will give them information about the inner workings of Gilead. And you would kind of think he would. You know, they they have this conversation out in the uh, you know, out on the patio. And he says to her, you made a deal with them? Like, you know, they're politicians. And then he kind of says, you know, once, once you get involved with a government, it's not so easy to back out. So we think, okay, he got involved with this and he's kind of stuck in the middle of it. But we also know that he's, you know, he tried to get June out twice. He had an assist in getting the baby out. So it's very, it's really unclear where his loyalties lie. And I think the fact that June completely didn't know this about his past at all. I mean, there's no way. Like if she, if she had known that he was instrumental in leading the crusade, which, you know, that's a, that's a religious term, the crusade you know, religious battle against the United States for Gilead to take it over. I don't think she ever would have continued on in a consensual relationship with him. And I think she was in an utter state of shock finding this out. What did Nick do? Before he was a driver. He served Gilead. How did he serve Gilead? Tell me. He was a soldier in the crusade. We wouldn't be here without him. So, you know, it's got to be a blow to June hearing this news because, you know, it means she was in love with someone that in many ways is the enemy. Um, she's got to feel betrayal over the fact that, you know, it sounds like Nick was not going to cooperate. And it sounds like the Swiss said, he's not going to cooperate like we know when we can turn someone and we're not going to be able to turn this guy you don't know who he is and so you know it's a double blow this June was looking at this as you know Nick's only way he would ever get to be a father to Nicole is by helping out the Swiss and and turning and giving them information and and now he hasn't even been able to do that so you know it's just got to be a huge disappointment one interesting scene that I want to just throw out there. And I would love for people to just shoot me an email saying if they interpreted this scene in the same way or not. But it's this scene where um, High Commander Winslow and Fred are playing. I don't think it's pool because there were a lot of red balls on that table. I think there are some other games you, other billiard games you play that involve those those red balls. <laughs> They're having this conversation and, you know, 
High Commander Winslow is basically saying, hey, there might be a post for you here in Washington. And, you know, it sounds like that is really the inner circle of things to come. And um, so Fred is really excited and he's leaning over the pool table, getting ready to take a shot. And Commander Winslow kind of, he, he reaches out and kind of like really puts his hand on Fred's shoulder in this kind of way, I don't know, I got a bit of a sexual attraction vibe out of that. I almost saw it as a slight sexual advance or sign of sexual attraction of High Commander Winslow towards Fred. I don't know if anyone else read it that way, but, you know, wouldn't it be so interesting if High Commander Winslow is also a secret gender traitor or, you know, a secret bisexual. I don't know if, I, I doubt that in this society being bisexual is, you know, really looked upon any better than, you know, being homosexual, but I just got the vibe that he was into Fred in that. That was just me. Maybe I'm totally reading into things, but I think that could be a really interesting twist in all of this. I'd love to see Fred be harassed a little bit by someone he doesn't want to be harassed by and see what kind of position that puts him in. You know, maybe maybe that's the only way he'd find some empathy with handmaids is to be backed into a corner by someone with more physical and political power than he has. So they're getting ready to film this big propaganda piece on what used to be the mall in Washington with what used to be the Washington Monument in the background, which is now that huge cross, which I honestly don't understand the symbolism of the cross because I believe the society is built on the Old Testament, which is prior to Christ being born. <laughs> so I don't really understand that aspect of it, but you know, that's one of the former monuments. Of course, they have completely demolished uh, the Lincoln Memorial. Um, and I've got some thoughts on that and June's interaction in front of that former monument. But June's getting ready for this big event and she's in her room and, and, um, Aunt Lydia comes in and is like, are you okay? And she's like, I'm just really tired, Aunt Lydia. And Aunt Lydia has this new piece of June's uniform for her to wear, which is the silencing piece. And this is the conversation they have after that. Can I ask you a question, Aunt Lydia? What is it? Do you want us all to be silenced? No. No, I don't. Oh. This trip has been tiring, hasn't it? Yes. It'll be good to be home. When I get tired, I still try to think of the good 
I can do in God's world. If I can help just one person, one soul, that's enough. And so this, uh, this was, uh, was really just one of the two hardest scenes for me to watch this episode. And I just, I feel like this is really, June and Aunt Lydia have had interactions before, but I felt like this was the most emotional, the most heartfelt. And I also feel like tired is code for bone weary of this fucking awful place because June uses it, Aunt Lydia uses it, and, you know, I think they're both somewhat traumatized by this trip to Washington, D.C., you know, in their own various ways, but I think a lot of it's central to the way they are treating their handmaids in this region, and, I mean, it's very frightening. It's very frightening to think about because if if this kind of treatment and silencing takes place in in, um, June's district, then she's not going to be able to help with the revolution. She's not going to be able to pass information. I mean, could you imagine Alma with those rings in her mouth? That girl can never shut up, you know? (laughs) She always has something to say. Usually 50% of the time it's a wisecrack, but I just, I cannot imagine this coming to those households. And it makes me wonder if Commander Lawrence knows about it. And it makes me wonder, like, okay, who is June going to tell about this when she gets back? Because this is major information. This is major information. And it's major reasons for all of those handmaids to, like, rise up now and work together. That is, like, I don't know. I mean, if, you know, being ceremonially raped once a month isn't bad enough, you know, we're going to, like, shut you up forever. <laughs> not let you talk, not let you breathe normally, eat normally, you know, not speak. It's just, ugh, it's really, it's hideous. It's really hideous. I mean, Axel, you were right. (laughs) My prediction was very wrong. We'll talk about that in a minute, a minute from last week. But Axel's prediction was really right. You can always count on something getting worse in Gilead. And we saw it. We saw it this week. And it was just really frustrating and um, really heartbreaking. So we are seeing June at the former Lincoln Memorial. The whole top half of Abraham Lincoln is gone. We just see his hands and his legs, and from the torso up, he's gone. We see where the wrecking ball has, you know, smashed into him and into the wall behind him. And I don't know, I just had so many thoughts watching June in front of this memorial, and knowing that Abraham Lincoln was really the great emancipator. He is responsible for helping lead the the war against slavery and and freeing the slaves and and giving people freedom that they should have had all along but that men in this country had taken away from them and tortured them 
and rape them. And, you know, it's, um, it is definitely a callback to slavery, what's happening in, in Gilead. Um, it's not about race this time. It's, it's about fertility and, and sexual slavery, and um, which doesn't make it any better. It doesn't make it any worse. It just makes it more slavery. Um, and thinking about President Lincoln and him leading the emancipation of these slaves, you know, he, he was assassinated in the end. And it makes you wonder, particularly I saw June looking at, you know, his, his hand is, his hands are still there. And that one is just kind of curled into a fist. And it made me think of the fight that he was involved with and the fight that June is involved with now. And it makes me wonder if June's fate is to be assassinated at some point. Is she going to be, I mean, she's never going to have a position of power where she is going to be Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln's equal, right? Um, she's not going to be elected to any office that we can see at this point in time. And she could very easily, easily be assassinated or killed in this society. So it really made me wonder about June's fate and June's future. Um, you know, she'd kind of resigned herself in the first episode of this season when Nick said, you are going to die here. And she said, I know. So I don't know. We'll see. I would, I would really hate to lose June, but, um, you know, the story's got to end some way. We just don't know how it's going to end and we don't know what her fate is, but this is a very possible fate for her. So I think the second most just, I don't know, kind of knife to the heart scene is this conversation that June and Serena have in front of the former Lincoln Memorial. And it's just, uh, I hate this because when these two women work together, it's powerful. Um, I don't want to call it magical, but it's powerful and it has a lot of potential for change. And when these two women are at odds, it's just, it hurts because it's woman against woman. And in this society, it's just like, come on, you need to pick a side and you need to stay there. And it just, Serena's just so blind right now. And, you know, June has been clear she's had enough. And this, oh, I mean, this is just, it's a brutal exchange. It's a brutally honest exchange. And perhaps this is something June has learned in the Lawrence's household. It's, you know, sometimes it's about brutal honesty, along with patience and kindness and care. Sometimes you just really have to throw down with a person and say, listen, this is you. This is what's happening. And Serena gives it right back to her. And then June gives it right back again. And both women are in tears. 
And it's a very similar frustration to last season when they had built their relationship to a point where I think they were in the nursery, you know, Serena had thrown that brunch for her. They were, they'd been doing the work together. They'd really found this nice common ground. And then June made one ask and it was like, Serena was hurt. June was hurt. And this is that all over again, but like 10 times worse. And June like laying it all out there. So here we go. You will not let her go because I love her. This isn't love. You can't love. You don't know how. Serena, you, you built this whole world just so that you could have someone. But it didn't work. You're small. You're cruel. And you're empty. You will always be empty. I should have put a ring in your mouth the day that we met. I should have let you burn my other chance. So this was, um, I don't know, I think it was one of the more devastating scenes of the episode just to see, I mean, just watching the scene, it is really clear um, how damaged this relationship is now. Uh, I don't think that this is anything June and Serena can recover from. Um, I don't know. It would take a miracle and a tragedy and something else, some third godly act <laughs> to bring them back together, to have them working together again. So clearly my theory from last week that Serena Joy was working behind the scenes is not happening. She is completely lost the plot and, you know, is so empty and forlorn that, um, you know, she's, uh, I don't know. She's lost. She's lost. Um, she's very lost. So I'm sorry. This episode of the handmaid's tale was not more, positive and uplifting and inspirational. I think we had a really good go the first few episodes of this season. Now we're kind of devolving into this really strange place. And who knows what's going to happen next? You know, we're not even halfway through. We're six episodes in. There are 13. But I believe that everything that we saw in that initial trailer has already aired in these first six episodes. So I feel like we're in a place that's very spoiler-free right now. And honestly, for me, I'm super uncomfortable. I'm just like, ah, inside. It's, um, it's really frustrating. It's, it's, you know, very stressful. It's a nail-biter. Um, you know, I know it's just a television show, but at the same time, it's just like, you know, we want to see our, our heroines and heroes make progress. And, um, you know, it was like we took five giant steps forward and now we've taken like 10 giant steps back. In terms of our sister or Mr. Resister of the week, on the show this week, I got to give it to June. She really tried with the Swiss. It's clear it's not going well, but it's the best she could do. 
she was a little cocky after that meeting too, which is unfortunate. I think this is a big reality check for her. So we'll, we'll see what happens next. And then I think we lost a couple potential future resistors. Uh, I do not think Serena Joy's name is ever going to be mentioned in this capacity again. And I don't think Nick's name is ever going to be mentioned in this capacity again. Um, so we really took a hit this week in terms of the resistance in Gilead. And then in terms of Sister Resistor or Mr. Resistor in our real lives, I'm going to give it to, controversially, I'm going to give this to Kamala Harris this week. Kamala Harris is a senator in California. She is running for the Democratic presidential nomination, and she slayed in a debate this week. Yes, some people really don't like her. Other people are big fans of hers. I don't really care what you think at this point, but she called out Joe Biden for some very, you know, to put it in her words, hurtful actions of his in times gone by which I think was important for her to call out, you know, we cannot get through this election by giving people passes. And that's within our own party. And, and trust me, she's not perfect either. I've seen friends posting, a, you know, a bunch of derogatory things about her uh, and her, you know, performance as a uh, prosecutor in San Francisco and whatnot. But when it comes to debating Donald Trump, we need someone that is not just going to sit there as he lurks up behind them. Sorry, Hillary. We need someone that is basically going to take him to task and put him in his place. So I think she's got a ton of potential. Um, good luck to her. And here's just a little replay of Kamala uh, giving it to Joe. It was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. And so that's it for this week. Thank you for listening to Resisting Gilead. Please share this podcast with your friends who watch The Handmaid's Tale Show. I'd love to have more listeners, get more perspectives from people who are listening to the podcast and watching the show. If you have any feedback you'd like to give about any episode uh, of the show or of this podcast, please feel free to email me at resistinggilead at gmail.com. And so don't let the bastards grind you down. It's uh, been a rough week on this show. I think it's been a very rough week uh, in the country, too. It's, you know, not only getting through the debates and having a lot of discussion that sometimes is, you know, hurtful if someone really disses on a candidate that we like. Um, but, you know, the things at the southern border are just in a, a state of utter... Uh, chaos, uh, where people are suffering and where children are, are suffering from abuse and neglect. And um, it's rough. It's rough out there. 
So don't let the bastards grind you down. Have a good week. Have a great 4th of July. Seems more important than ever this year that we really take time to celebrate the rights that we do have in this country. So have a great celebration. I'll be back next week with a podcast because The Handmaid's Tale is not taking a break on the 4th of July. It'll be interesting to see if they do something that is slightly independence theme day, although I doubt it because it looks like it's the middle of winter there right now, but you never know. And have a great week, everyone. Thank you so much for listening.